Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. We are funking fresh on a Tuesday night. It actually is a Tuesday night. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We're recording on a Tuesday. That doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's a little off schedule, but we're going to Palm Springs. We what can I say? Are. We need to be a little crazy with our recording mm-hmm. schedule so we can go on a little vacation because we deserve to have a little fun. That's right. Right? You know what else I deserve? What is that? A $1.2 million house on Zillow. Oh, sure. I mean, hey, if, if I am included in that deal, sign me up. Really, it should be 2.4. Oh, say less. But I'll compromise at 1.2. But I've been doing a little searching. I spend all of my free time on Zillow. It is such a problem. Right? It's like, <laughs> I wonder what the breakdown would be between YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, TikTok, Twitter. Jesus. It's all and on Zillow? Safari. Honestly? On Zillow. I don't want to know. But I've been fantasizing about what could be my home, but will never be my Who home. Who doesn't? It's fun. Yeah. It's a very fun pastime. You no, know, no. I go, okay, what if we won the lottery and we had $500,000 in cash? Yeah, you really could spiral and play the what if game. That's really fun to play on Zillow. Hey, what yeah. if I could buy a $3 million home? Yeah, what? Yeah. But if I put 500 bones down, it starts looking not so bad. 10 grand a month might be attainable. <laughs> Right? right yeah you start convincing yourself okay i could start some companies right yeah totally yeah you're like little timmy will take this bedroom and then of course yeah. this will be the office and i'll have a cinema in the basement and and we'll have a bowling alley right obviously and, and my kids don't need to eat no right? they'll eat the private chef will cook no obviously. no no <laughs> that money goes to the mortgage okay well dream big <laughs> if, if you're gonna get a million dollar home come on dream dream bigger um anyway this is not the zillow podcast so or hgtv yeah or hgtv even Although though you do you go through and you're like this could be renovated and this could be like this house has good bones oh you think that i don't you yeah. think my ass isn't like, like i could diy the shit out of that yeah yeah come on there's a wall in between the kitchen and the living room and it is asking to be broken down. Yeah, you're, if you think that i'm looking at these places and you think i'm not like i could wallpaper the shit out of that bathroom you're incorrect. I absolutely am doing that. Every time. Anyways, let's talk about our story. We talk about survivors, and this is very yeah. much turning into HDTV. And, and this is... we're going to talk about it again today. It's nothing different. Yeah, we're still going to talk about some people who got into a crazy predicament. So let's do that. Predicament. They really did. We're going to be talking about a father and a son who really got caught in cahoots no not cahoots no. i was gonna say a kerfuffle because we said oh, that last night you, in our patreon episode you, you really enjoyed that word i did uh, it was yeah. a good word and I'm i actually use it don't know what it means it sounds fully. right it's see i think it's a bit of a situation perhaps yeah they're definitely sounds good they're definitely in a situation that's for okay. sure so let's just get started Blake Stanfield and his father, Neil, started their journey by being dropped in the middle of the remote Alaskan wilderness by a bush pilot, 60 miles from the nearest civilization. The two had planned a rafting trip to celebrate Neil's 65th birthday. Back in Oklahoma, Blake earned a degree in finance and made a living as an auditor until one day an epiphany identified his true calling. He entered medical school and in his third year found a residency program in Alaska. He moved to Anchorage, then to the small town of Seward, where he married and started a family. And his father, who dabbled in commercial real estate in Oklahoma City, didn't need much persuading to take some time off and head north for the river trip. The trip had been Blake's idea. The father and son had always been close. The two talked every day, and apart from that, they had a shared love for the outdoors. Wilderness was a familiar place for them. From the time Blake was seven, they had been backpacking partners, and Blake would eventually take up mountaineering and rock climbing as well. Neil exposing Blake to backpacking gave him a real appreciation for nature. But as much as Neil was looking forward to the rafting trip, he knew it wasn't going to be easy. 
Neil thought Blake should have booked them on an organized group trip, but Blake had other plans. Blake had always been very independent and decided that they would be better off doing whatever they wanted to do, and they could, on their own, in the middle of nowhere. And Neil, knowing his son, knew there wasn't much he could say to change Blake's mind. Blake never wanted to be a part of any organized trip, and even today, after everything we're about to get into, he still wouldn't want to be on an organized group trip. He wanted to do this alone, with his father, but that meant they had to be prepared for anything. Yeah, this is a little bit insane. Yeah. You're going to go 60 miles away from anything, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to go into dangerous rafting waters. Yes. With your 65-year-old dad. Correct. Who, no matter how much, no matter how good of a shape he's in, he's 65. Yes, very much that. You know? Okay. That's the plan. Okay. I, the independent adventurous spirit is inspiring. What could possibly go wrong? Let's reframe. What could go right? Hey, you know what? You're so right. Let's reframe. Maybe we could have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this is funny that he's like, I'm going to do this for me on your birthday. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they did this kind of stuff together all the time. I mean, maybe not something as intense as going on a rafting trip together like this all the time, but they would go hiking and, you know, they were very outdoorsy together. So this wasn't out of the norm for them. But yeah, this was definitely like an intense trip, no doubt. And in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness, they not only needed to be prepared for the rafting, but also any wildlife they may come into contact with. So they had all of their supplies for the rafting and the camping and all the things they needed to do to generally survive, but also they had a shotgun and knives and things to protect themselves should anything come up. Come up. Yes, exactly. The Gates of the Arctic National Park is spectacular, but also very dangerous. It's home to hundreds of black bears and grizzlies, not to mention packs of wolves. It's 13,000 square miles of near-untouched wilderness. And Blake and Neil had no way of contacting the outside world. They didn't pack a radio or even a cell phone. So should anything go wrong, they were screwed. Okay. This is, like, reckless. <laughs> At that point, yes. Kind of. Wow. I would have, like, three sat phones. Yeah. Blake's plan was for them to travel south down the Koyukuk River to the town of Bettles. The pair had a cataract, which was an aluminum frame strapped to two inflatable pontoons, with two seats, one in the front and one behind. The whole trip was around 90 miles and should take them around six days to complete. They'd be camping and doing short day hikes along the way. But the most important part was for them to have fun, right? What could go wrong? (laughs) The temperature was about 80 degrees when they set out. Blake wore shorts, no shoes, and a t-shirt as they got into the boat, and Neil had on a pair of waders and a t-shirt. As they started their journey in their raft, their conversation was about how amazing it was, how remote it was, and how quiet everything was. This river was languid and wide, 100 feet or more where they put in. Blake and Neil had deliberately avoided seeing anyone by going to the National Park in early June. It was two weeks before the start of the rafting season, so the men had the Koyukuk River all to themselves, which was exciting to them at the time. But, as it turns out, there was a reason the season didn't start for another few weeks. After rafting for just a few hours, they noticed the river had started changing. The river had began to narrow, and they started seeing ice along both sides of the river, which was a shock to them because they thought it would have melted by that time of year. But apparently those two weeks make a pretty big difference. For six months of the year, the river has a lot of ice, but during the summer it all melts. But that early in the season, some patches hadn't yet thawed. And the longer they floated down the river, the more ice they saw. And even worse for them, the current began picking up speed. Blake had been sitting in the back with his father up front, so he was controlling the steering. 
and as the current picked up speed, he was having more trouble controlling the raft. He tried to look around the bends in the river to see which way they'd be going, but he soon realized he didn't really have a choice in the direction they would be going. The men were at the mercy of the current. They rounded what looked like just another bend and saw the river-wide shelf of ice blocking their path. Blake tried to slow down the raft, but there wasn't anything he could do. The raft slammed into the ice shelf and flipped over, sending both men into the river. And the current pulled them both under this ice shelf. Suddenly, they were under the rock-hard slab, with jagged blocks of frozen river scraping the skin from their faces and scalps, with only a thin layer of air offering quick breaths as the current swept them along. Neither knew how long they were under because, as Blake put it, time stops when stuff like this happens. But at one point, they both popped up from the water into an air pocket underneath this ice shelf. They had had enough space just for their faces to come up out of the water. That way they could breathe for just a minute. So they were underneath the ice, but they had a, an air pocket. Blake immediately yelled to his dad, I'm sorry. And he managed to grab his father's hand, but the current was too strong and Neil was swept away again beneath the ice. And then, not long after Neil, Blake was as well. Both men were spat out from underneath the initial ice slab, but the current still pulled them along, and in the next few seconds, Neil saw that he was being dragged toward another ice shelf. He tried to hold on to the edge of it to not get pulled underneath another one, but the current was too strong, and he was swept below once again. And this was obviously terrifying, I mean, for a number of reasons, but these ice shelves could go on for miles, so they weren't sure how far these would stretch. And this time, there was no air pocket. Both men thought they had taken their final breath. Blake had been pulled underneath as well, and as they were pulled along, both men got abrasions to their heads and faces for continually trying to surface for air and hitting their heads on the ice shelf above them. They certainly thought they were going to drown. But finally, they came out the other side of the ice shelf, and Blake popped out from underneath and took the biggest breath of his life. The only problem was, he had no idea where his father was. He didn't know if he had gotten stuck on something or was trapped underneath the water, but he was panicking. After frantically scanning the water and calling out for him, he finally sees his father's head resurface further downstream. Blake knew he needed to get his father to shore, or he would either drown or die of hypothermia. Neil had thankfully stopped himself after latching onto a block of ice that lay under the surface, but as Blake called out to him to get to the shore, Neil couldn't hear him over the roar of the river. I'm just in shock. I mean, I can't believe that they keep getting spit out the other side, or that they were able to stop themselves at all, and the river is so intense that they can't hear each other. This is insane. Isn't it? I guess, how would they know? They had no idea. I mean, I guess the idea was to go when no one else would be there to bother them, I guess. But also, the season starts at a certain time for a reason. So I guess they just weren't aware why the season starts when it does. Yeah. Sometimes it pays to follow the herd. Yeah. Even if there's going to be a couple extra people. I guess there's like safety in numbers, you know? What a scary moment, though, to see the ice shelf and then... There's nothing you can do. The boat is flipping and then you get swept underneath. That first moment... Yeah, I'm like, what do you even do? Do you try and go on top of it? Like You can't. You just immediately get swept under. Yeah. The current is that strong. It just sucks you under. And just the thought of, like, your face and head getting scraped and, like, hit mm -hmm. so many times from, like, trying to resurface... Yeah. And you can't because ice ice is there is a horrifying thought. Yeah. Like when they resurfaced finally, they were bloodied. Like their heads and faces were just cut up. So that's really, that's like violent. I know, but at least they're still alive. Absolutely. But they weren't out of the woods. I mean, literally, they were in the woods. Sorry, that was yeah. no pun intended. Well, they're not in the woods. They're in the river. They're in the you river, know. but they're in the river in the woods. So they're they're in the woods. You, you didn't you know, like that one. You know what I mean? But I'm, I will I will I was gonna say I won't quit my day job, but this is my day job. So 
I'll keep my day job, I guess. <laughs> Help. We need like a bell when we make a bad joke. The bad joke bell? Or something. Yeah, maybe we should get one of those. So Neil had finally managed to stop himself from being pulled further downstream by latching himself onto a piece of ice that lay under the surface. And Blake was calling out to him from the shore, saying that he needed to swim to him, basically. Neil was so tired, but after a minute, he managed to catch his breath enough for him to tell Blake to shut up. (laughs) I knew you'd like that one. (laughs) Okay, he's just sitting there. Just waiting. Just waiting. (laughs) Shut the fuck up! (laughs) Pretty much. Blake was telling him he needed to swim over to him, but that was the last thing he wanted to do. Neil knew that getting back in that current was very dangerous, but Blake knew that it was his dad's only chance at survival. If he didn't get out of the water, then he was absolutely going to die. Finally, Neil lowered himself back into the freezing water, and Blake offered him a 10-foot spruce branch, which allowed him to grab hold of his father and pull him to shore. Neil was uncontrollably shivering. He was in the first stage of hypothermia, and Blake, who was a doctor, knew that. His father's shivering was bordering on, like, seizing. Like, that's how violent his shivering was. Both men were bleeding from their heads and faces and were, of course, soaking wet and freezing cold. Blake knew he needed to warm his father up, but all of their spare clothes were lost in the accident. But thankfully, one thing he did have was a lighter he kept in his life jacket. It was wet, but he knew that they may be able to start a fire, and that was huge. If they didn't have a lighter, they're done, right? I mean, they're 60 miles away from civilization. It's also crazy that they're hypothermic, but it's not like zero degrees outside. It's like fully summer. That's true. Yeah. The day started off at 80 degrees. Right. But when it gets dark out, the temperature drops considerably. And also the, the water was freezing. Their clothes are soaking wet. And at that point, it was much later in the day. I guess it's just not a normal hypothermia situation where you're the outdoors is not below freezing no definitely not but also they were in a very forested area so the sun wasn't like beating down on them they were like in the shade if that makes sense oh that makes a big difference too yeah yeah i was wondering if they could like go hug a rock that was in the sun or something no unfortunately but they did luckily have a lighter so i guess if uh if this is a lesson at all put Put a lighter, Bring a lighter. Put a lighter in your life jacket, right? Or something. Yeah. Shout out Bick. Bick? I thought you were going to say Blake because he put a no, lighter in I his... No, I think actively not shout out Blake right now. <laughs> I think... You're like, if I had to shout out anyone, it would not be Blake right Sorry, now. Sorry, bud, but I think Neil gets it too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Blake immediately sat his father down on a log and started gathering sticks and whatever he could to set on fire. He then told his father to strip his wet clothes off because they were making his body temperature drop faster. As the fire was starting, Blake held on to his father to give him some of his body heat and eventually got him to where he wasn't shaking anymore. The two then sat together by the fire, and Blake had a picture of his wife and son in his life vest, And as they sat by the fire, he and his father both cried, thinking about what they were going to do. Neil tried to comfort him, but they both knew things were looking really bleak. They were stranded in a remote wilderness with no food, no way of contacting anyone, and very few supplies. They did have a lighter, they had one knife, and they had their map and the clothes on their backs. But no one expected them back for at least six days which meant that no one was going to start looking for them for at least six days. Even worse than that, they were completely exposed to all of this wildlife that was lurking out there, looking for an easy meal. They had some very big problems. And it had gotten colder as the sun went down, which is when they knew they ought to start looking for some shelter. Even though Neil had only just stopped shivering, they had to start walking. Blake had lost his shoes, like I mentioned, although thankfully Neil still had his. But even still, Blake wanted to move faster than Neil was able to. 
The freezing water had drained Neil's strength, and he was 65 years old and had only six months ago had an accident where he broke his ankle, so he wasn't Bro. as spry as he used to be. We left out that detail at the beginning. Well, you know, I mean, it wasn't as relevant in the beginning. Wow. Well, I would argue that it was. Is he even fully healed? Uh, 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 I don't know. It was hurting then, I guess, so maybe not. Dude, I'm like... You're you're already a little older, and you have an injury. Yeah, and and he just bashed his head against the ice a few times. Exactly, and he just spent like a while drowning, like well, almost drowning. But I was gonna say like violently shivering. So like that takes it out of you for sure. Yeah, he was drained for sure, and Blake was barefoot, but he was like hauling ass, like he was really walking fast. And Neil was like, hey, can you stop? Like, can, can you, you not? not do this? I mean, I hate to break it to you, Blake, but you're going to be out here for a week or two. Maybe. We'll see. Probably. That's not right? very not today of you. I, I'm sorry, but nobody's going to start looking for you for six days unless you randomly come across somebody before the season. The whole reason was to get where no one was. Hmm. It's not looking good for you. You got to stay positive. Well, you will probably get out. It's just it going to be a week or two. After a while of walking, Neil told Blake they needed to find a campsite for the night because with the way Blake was walking, it was as if he was trying to just walk out of there. And that wasn't going to happen. They were 60 miles away from any other person, and no one was even going to be in that area for at least another two weeks. So they needed to survive at least the next week until people noticed they hadn't shown up and started looking for them. It was the rainy season, so the men decided they needed to create some kind of shelter to stay as dry and as warm as possible. They found a dry gully with a fallen tree across it, and began piling branches and dried grass, hoping to insulate themselves from the evening's chill. But as they were building their shelter, Neil noticed some large tracks on the ground. He believed it may have been from grizzly bears, and there were quite a few tracks. Blake said it was possible they were just passing through, but they couldn't be very sure. He decided they needed to finish their shelter and build a fire to keep warm. They did pack a shotgun with them, but at that point, it was at the bottom of the river. So now, their only defense was the fire. At night, their main concern was the cold. They took turns laying toward the front of the shelter, closer to the fire. Whoever was laying in the back would bear hug the person in the front. Also, sleeping wouldn't be easy, because it was summertime in Alaska, and the sun barely dips below the horizon, meaning there was only a few hours of darkness. But during those few hours of darkness, the temperature can still get close to freezing. Their clothes were still damp, and Neil shivered himself to sleep, but at least they slept next to a fire. Blake couldn't sleep. He knew it would be at least a week before anyone noticed they were missing, and if they stayed put, their chances of survival were very slim. The only alternative was a grueling 60-mile hike to the nearest town. It was a long ways away, and in between was extremely rough terrain, and they only had one pair of shoes between the two of them. That night, Blake made a very tough decision. He knew he needed to get to Bettles to get some help. Although, he also knew the number one rule of survival was stick together. But he also knew that his dad wasn't up to the hike. That morning, when Neil woke up, he told his father he was going for help. Neil thought that plan was crazy, considering how far away Bettles was. He also asked what Blake's plan was for getting over the Tinyagook River in the south, because it was a huge river, and it was in the way of his path. Blake didn't have a great answer. He told his father that he would find a way. But at the end of the day, Blake told his father that they were on their own, and no one was coming for them, and he had made up his mind. Neil told him not to go, but he also knew that Blake was stubborn and that he was going to go. I sense a theme. Right? At the same time, I get it. If Neil is coming off a broken ankle and can't really walk as quickly... They're just going to be out there for longer. But, I mean, who's going to take the knife and the lighter? Right. That's the other issue. One of them has to take the supplies. Right. I, I guess they could split them, but 
I guess Neil could hang out there and just keep the fire going. Right. But, yeah, I mean... It was a very tough call. Any grizzly come by for a Neil meal? Ooh, that's a... That's <laughs> really something you just did there. A Neil meal. <laughs> a big old meal a Neil. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I do hear what you're saying. No, yeah, but that was, that was the concern. But also... If they didn't give Blake the lighter and the knife and, you know, whatever, and if he came across, you know, a bear or a pack of wolves or whatever on his journey, then that would be bad, too. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of logistics and things you have to think about. Absolutely. What did they end up doing? Well, should I I just keep going? That was a good segue by me. Thank you so much for your segue. So because Blake would be making a 60-mile journey, Neil decided Blake should have the knife, the lighter, and the map, and his shoes because he'd be walking. Neil got left with nothing. He had a fire going, thankfully, but if it went out in the next few days, or if he was visited by a bear or a wolf, he'd be fucked. Get a stick. That wouldn't do shit. Sharpen it up. Against, with what? Sharpen it with what? The knife. A rock? Before you go, give him a spear or something. A spear? Take a branch and cut it. Make a spear before you go. Give the old man a spear. Hmm. You know? Maybe that would have been smart, but they didn't do that. Honestly, this is like an episode of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> God. It's like weirdly similar. Well, they weren't naked. They were afraid. They were for a short time. For a short time, they were naked and they were and afraid. certainly were afraid. That's for sure. He was... Definitely scared is my next bit. So he, yeah. they were afraid. Seeing Blake leave, he was scared. So he felt, Neil felt alone and concerned, but there was nothing he could do. He was more worried about what Blake would encounter than anything else. Ahead of Blake was a 60-mile hike to the nearest town. He had no room to make any mistakes. One wrong turn could mean disaster. The hike was extremely difficult. The terrain was extremely uneven. He hadn't eaten in over 24 hours. The wilderness was untamed, so definitely no paths, obviously. And it was difficult to know exactly where he was because of the scale of the map he was using. He couldn't use any landmarks to tell exactly where he was. But he was making good progress. At least that's what he thought. Because only a few hours after leaving his father, he hit the river in his way. This was one of his father's main concerns, because the current would be fast moving and the water freezing cold, and it would be possible he could be pulled under another ice shelf. But he promised his father he'd get help, so his only way across was to get in it and risk it. Blake was really fucking around and finding out. He's gonna find out. The only way through was to swim across. Gotta go through it. And he thankfully did manage to prove his father wrong. He swam across. And now that that was out of his way, he was hoping... How big was it? Was there any ice? There was no ice, and it was not that big. Get fucked, Dad. It's almost like it was too good to be true. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I was like, here's the deal, Neil. Here's the deal, Blake. If it's too good to be true, maybe it is. So he swam across the river, and he was like, suck it, Dad. <laughs> And I quote. (laughs) Could you imagine? He's like across the river just screaming at no one. (laughs) Suck it, Dad! (laughs) Ding. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. Tomato, 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 boo-boo, tomato, tomato. tomato. Okay. And now that that was out of the way, he was hoping that it would be a straight shot to Bettles, which was the town. Back at the camp, Neil couldn't rest because now he didn't have a lighter, so he had to keep the fire going. It was his only source of warmth and his sole defense against the bears and wolves. Or he would occasionally shout to discourage anything from sniffing around. And keeping the fire going was difficult because he had to continually gather sticks and logs on uneven rocky terrain, now only in his socks. Yeah, I forgot he took the shoes. Yeah. But really, he was very worried about what Blake may have to run into out there. Like Neil, Blake was trying to keep predators away by singing out loud. What's he jamming? A little Elton John? Or maybe he's singing, Staying Alive? 
you know? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? That would be really funny. <laughs> Maybe he's singing Cheeseburger in Paradise. Ooh. Or Ooh. he's bumping James Buffet Margaritaville. He knows we're going I to Palm Springs. Just gonna say, what if what if we what if we said Margaritaville? He's looking for Margaritaville. His uh shaker salt. Searching for my law shaker salt. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay, for the for the sake of the story and because we're going to Palm Springs, we're gonna say he's he's singing Margaritaville. Okay. Okay. So he was singing Margaritaville. Um, and that was working fantastically until he was walking through a pretty open area and suddenly Blake spotted a grizzly bear. Oh no. A grizzly bear can tear your head off with one bite and its claws can rip through you in case we forgot. So <laughs> it was it was still quite a ways away, but if it saw Blake, he would be lunch. So he crouched down and very quickly ran behind a tree. He didn't make any noise, but he knew that he may be discovered, even if he didn't make noise, because grizzlies have a very keen sense of smell, one that's 100 times more sensitive than that of humans. They can pick up the scent of prey around two miles away from them. Luckily, Blake was downwind from this grizzly, so his scent was being carried in the opposite direction, but at any moment, the wind could change. So Blake had to make a run for it. He just had to sprint away from the grizzly bear. Wow, just like opposite direction? Yeah, and he did it. He luckily managed to escape the bear without him seeing or hearing him, even though he was bumping Margaritaville. Yeah, I mean... Which is crazy, but he still had a long way to go. He believed he was making good time, but by his estimation, he still had about a day and a half of hiking. But after escaping the bear and making it through the thick brush, he came out to a much larger river in his path. And this was the Tinyagook River. Blake had believed the smaller river that he had swam across earlier that day was the Tinyagook River, but it turned out that it wasn't. This much larger river was. His father was right. This river was far too large for him to cross. There was no way for him to reach Bettles. Not only was it huge, but it was extremely fast-moving and very cold. After seeing that, he lost all of his optimism because it was a dead end. So then he's like, screw you, Dad. You're right, I guess. Yeah, he's like, screw us. <laughs> screw us, also. I like how we just turned Blake, who's like a 38-year-old man, into like a... Is an angsty teen. An angsty teenager. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but did they have any other options? Or was this the, no. this was the only town you got to make it there or not? Pretty much, yeah. Bettles was the only option. Yeah, I mean, I guess what else would you have done? Nothing. There was no other option. So yeah. this was, it was Bettles or bust. How big was the river? Too big? Too big. Way too big. He had done exactly what his father told him not to do. And now alone, they were both at far greater risk. And now Blake had another decision to make because he wasn't all that far from where he had left his father, so he could go back. He was feeling very guilty for putting him in this predicament in the first place. Or he wasn't sure if he should stay there, at least for the night, because he had been hiking all day and he was exhausted. The mental and physical strain had finally caught up with Blake and he knew he needed to rest, so he decided to stay put. Blake hadn't eaten for 36 hours at that point. He was so hungry, he started eating spiders that he found on the ground. The nutrition from the few he ate definitely didn't give him any energy. That evening, it started to rain, a few drops here and there, and Blake was very worried for his father because he didn't have the lighter to restart his fire. They were in the rainy season, and downpours were common that time of year, and if Neil's fire went out, he would be at risk of hypothermia and bear attack. Thankfully, the rain clouds blew over, but that night would be Neil's first on his own. He again tried to make noise to keep predators away. He said some of the things he would yell were pretty stupid, and one of the things he yelled to keep the predators away was, I'm the king of this valley. Everyone who lives here lives here at my pleasure. If you want to see me, you have to go through my nights. <laughs> That's one thing that Neil yelled to the bears. That's fun. Yeah. That was a long night for Neil because he had to stay conscious enough to keep the fire alive. 
For Blake, that next morning was a sad one. There was no way of getting to Bettles, and things were looking very bad for them. But he had one last hope. He kept thinking about the bush pilot that dropped them off. He knew they flew along these rivers, so if anyone was out there, it would be one of those pilots flying overhead. If Blake could make himself more visible, maybe one of these passing planes would spot him. Despite his weakened state, he gathered together as much driftwood as possible to start a signal fire. But as he started this fire, it wasn't looking very promising, because the smoke wasn't as white and concentrated as he would have hoped. It just wasn't very noticeable. Which brings us to Neil's third night in the shelter out there and second night alone. A spark jumped from the fire and lit up his shelter as he slept. After a few seconds, he woke up to see the whole thing had been set ablaze, and there was nothing he could do but watch it as it burned in front of him. But even still, Neil knew that he had to save a part of it to start a new fire, otherwise he'd be left with no fire which would make him completely defenseless. So from that fire, he had to grab a stick and then grab little pieces of brush around him and like start a new fire from his literal burning shelter. So he had like a little fire in his big burning shelter and he had to keep that little fire alive. So that was what he was doing. Which brings us to day four. During the night, meltwater had flooded the river Blake slept by and he woke up in inches of water. So he knew that he had to get further into the forest or he could possibly be stuck on an island with how quickly the water levels had been rising. Blake had decided to stay by the major river instead of go back to his father and take a gamble on the passing bush pilot theory. Upriver, Neil was now shelterless, exhausted, and starving. The sun came down very hard, and there was no cover. He had to build himself a new shelter, but after three days with no food, it was extremely difficult to do anything. There was only so much Neil's body could take at that point. Both men spent another day enduring harsh wilderness and worrying about what had happened to the other and if they would make it out alive. Which leads us to day five. Blake's decision to hike out looked more and more like it was the wrong call. That day, bush pilot Dirk Nickish was taking it easy when five construction workers who were building a visitor center in the village of Coldfoot approached him and said they wanted to tour the area before they left. Dirk stayed low as he followed the path of Koyukuk River south. At one point, he saw a raft on the bank, but thought it was paddlers who had pulled off of the river. And at around six or seven that evening, Blake had finally heard this plane. He ran as fast as he could into view and jumped up and waved his life vest. And Blake believed that the plane had spotted him because it kind of, you know, dipped its wings. And because of that, he ended up falling to his knees to let this pilot know that he was in dire straits. So he was like, I was trying to let this pilot know that I was really not doing well if he did see me. Did the pilot give him the wiggle? That's what it looked like to Blake. Dirk radioed to his wife to call Bettles and find out who was on the river. By the time he landed in Coldfoot, his wife had notified the National Park Service, and she also had some disturbing news. There were supposed to be two men on the river, so things are in the works. They're like, okay, two men are out there, things are not looking good. Back on the river, when three hours passed and there were still no sign of rescue, it was getting harder for Blake to hold on to hope. And after a while, he thought that he had hallucinated the entire thing. If help didn't come soon, he felt like that was it for them. Finally, the plane appeared. And this time as it flew over, it dropped a bag of supplies for him. And in this bag was a walkie-talkie. He told them what had happened and that his father was upstream. So they started an aerial search for him. He should have been easy to spot, but when the pilot reported back to Blake, the news was bad. His father wasn't where he had left him. He told them to keep searching. His father had to be there. Blake was sick at the idea that his father hadn't made it because his father didn't want him to leave in the first place. So if he left and Neil died while trying to fend for himself, Blake would never be able to forgive himself. As the aerial search continued, a rescue helicopter picked up Blake. And after three hours of searching, 
they found Neil lying on the ground. A ranger ran out of the helicopter and over to Neil to see if he was even still alive. And when he crouched down and asked, Neil, are you okay? Neil asked, how did you know I was here? And he told him, your son told us where you were. So Neil knew at that point that Blake had made it. And actually, to Neil's surprise, Blake was waiting for him in the helicopter. And when he climbed into the helicopter, Blake told him he was so sorry, and he told his father that he looked like hell. And, <laughs> and Neil told Blake he didn't look so cute himself. Neil said Blake looked like he had been working in a coal mine. He was so dirty. And then they took off. They later learned their initial camp was not on the flight path of any local aircraft. So if Blake had stayed, they wouldn't have been found by someone flying overhead, which means they almost certainly would have died. Yeah, if they stayed put. I yeah. mean, if they hiked together, it just would have taken them longer to get there. Correct, yeah. But even though it seemed like maybe it was the wrong call, it was not the wrong call. Yeah. A week later, the sheet of ice on the Koyukuk River was gone. So if they had waited for the rafting season to begin, they would have been fine. Wow. Yep. That's amazing what difference two weeks makes. Yeah. Even just one week. Wow. They went two weeks before the season started. And just one week later, the ice was gone. Crazy. Lesson learned? Yeah, seriously. In an LA Times article I was reading about their story... Josh Bernstein of Boulder Outdoor Survival School weighed in on what Blake and Neil did right and what they did wrong. And what they did right was they never gave up. He said people who... <laughs> I feel like this is the equivalent of a teacher telling you that was a good try. Good try. You put a great effort into yeah, that. Yeah, gold star. He said people who pull through survival situations never question their chance to live. They keep trying despite the odds. The will to live ultimately kept them alive. And also signaling, waving his red life vest to signal to the plane was a good call. That's a good thing. Too. I would say so. Yeah. But here's... I feel like you don't need to be a survival expert to know that. <laughs> sure. But he's, he's saying here's what they did right. And here's and what they did wrong. Here's what they did wrong. So here's what they did wrong. As far as preparedness goes... He said, Blake and Neil could have spent more time assessing the risks of running the Koyukuk early in the season. The shoulder seasons present unusual risks, and hitting a wall of ice would not be out of the realm. A few inquiries with experienced local rafters might have given them more caution. He also said they should have had more awareness. Uh, thickening ice on the banks should have given them more concern. They should have been more vigilant in, noti in noticing any changes in the river. As far as their gear went, since capsizing is not an impossible scenario, someone should have had a ditch kit or other essential gear, a pouch with a space blanket, a signal mirror, food bars, fish hooks, etc. would have been great to have. And as far as their safety went, he said, technically, it is usually a mistake for a lost party to split up. But in this case, I can see why Blake felt the need to hasten any rescue effort. And given the way things turned out, it seems to have worked for him. So that's what they had to say about what they did right and what they did wrong. Hey, they ended on a good note, right? Yeah, they said, you know what? You did okay. Usually I'd say this is a wrong thing, but you made it a right thing. Yeah, also, I like they could have consulted and maybe paid attention to the ice a little more. Yeah. It's a very nice way yes. of delivering the what you did wrong. But I think that's that's true. Like, if you are going to go out into the wilderness, especially on, like, a prolonged hike or something like that, it is good to be aware of where you're going and, like, knowing the area or, you know, just knowing what you're getting yourself into. Because if you go into a blind, that's really what gets you into trouble. Yeah. Especially when you're so far away from the nearest town absolutely and you're there in a season where nobody else is there and you're without a sat phone or a way to contact someone i mean if anything went wrong you were gonna have to do something like this yeah totally but even in scenarios that isn't as extreme as this i mean they purposely put themselves in this extreme situation you know they had a a bush plane drop them in the middle of a remote alaskan wilderness they didn't have a walkie-talkie they didn't have a cell phone they were going on a six day 90 mile you know whatever 
track, that's obviously extreme. So yes, they should have been more aware, more prepared. But even in situations where like you're going on a hike, that's maybe like a longer hike. It's still good to like know where you're going and be prepared because you don't necessarily know what the service is going to be like. You know, like even if you have your phone or you feel like you know an area, you could lose service and then you don't know where you are. You don't know what's happening and you can't call for help. Like you should have a general idea, you know, set yourself up for success. Correct. You know, food, water doesn't hurt. Yeah. Pack a water bottle, throw a granola bar in your fanny pack. Do something. Try it. Try it out. Try it out. But anyway, two months later, Blake became the father of his second son. And apparently Blake and Neil did go back because (laughs) his wife say, I don't know, but (laughs) they said, because now we have a lot of friends up there. So they did go back. But after the accident, Blake moved his family back from Alaska to Oklahoma city to be closer to his mom and dad. Um, And he runs his medical practice there and Blake and Neil still regularly go hiking together, but they've never gone rafting again. So it's a good move guys. Yes. So that is the story of Blake and Neil and their epic rafting trip through the Alaskan wilderness. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it was a bold trip. Uh, Bold, to say the least. Yeah, I can't imagine how terrified Neil was the whole time. Both of them. Yeah, but I mean, especially Neil, because he's got to keep the fire going, and if not, he's kind of screwed, and he's also by himself. All he can do is sit there. Then his shelter burnt up. Yeah. I was just thinking about the time where they went under the first ice shelf and they resurfaced for the first time in that little air pocket and immediately Blake said he was sorry. Just the immediate regret, you know? Yeah. The immediate guilt as soon as he hit the water. As soon as the boat started to flip, he was like, shit. Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. I can't blame him. No, me neither. You know? I'm not wrong. No, he's, I mean, it's just, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. I mean, I'm so glad that nothing all that terrible happened, you know? Could and by all, worse. I mean, all that terrible, I mean, nobody got mauled by a bear or nobody died. Nobody died. Yeah. That's what I mean by that. Good reframe. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, that's what a terrifying thing to endure. Holy shit. I'll have none of that. Hey, yeah. I'll have none of that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I was thinking like how long would it have taken him to hike 60 miles? I could probably walk a mile every 15 minutes, four miles an hour. In an eight hour day, you do 32, but it's probably like bad terrain. Yeah, it was bad terrain for you sure. get 20, 25 a day maybe. I just don't know. I don't know either. That's kind of insane. He probably walked a marathon in the first day about. It probably got close. Yeah. Which is insane. On no food. Yeah. And it still had to keep going. I just don't know. How long do you have? I know you have about 21 days with no food, but how long do you have if you're hiking 25 miles a day? A lot shorter than that. Not much. I mean, he thankfully had water. Yeah, but. but Which would extend it, right? Yeah. But I mean, you need food eventually. Definitely. Yeah, it wasn't going to last forever. Good thing that plane happened. Yeah, just a random sequence of events. The construction workers just wanted to check it out. Yeah, they're like, we want to see that area. Yeah, and also, <laughs> I was thinking that you were going to say, oh, he was swinging his life jacket and getting on his knees and like <laughs> signaling to the plane. But the pilot just thought that he was doing a little dance. No. And kept right on going. No, no, the, the pilot knew he was signaling for help. Yeah, but it, it just seems like that's how stories go sometimes. Oh, yeah. Is that, oh, the plane flew over and it was like, he could see the whites of their eyes and they just flew by. The pilot just waves back. Hey. Gave him a wiggle and kept on going. God. He's like, you'll figure it out. Anyways, what's your good thing? My good thing is that you got me Magnolia Bakery, that banana pudding always hits so hard. Hey. You know what I mean? It never fails. It really doesn't fail. I got the carrot cake pudding which is their specialty flavor right now because it's like Easter. And it is so good. Oh, my God. What is your good thing? It's got to be Palm Springs. Again. It's got to be. Margaritaville? (laughs) Didn't you say it on the Patreon? I did, and I'm going to say it again because we were recording two days in a row. 
and it's my podcast, damn it. Not changing. I'm not finding no I'm good not thing. changing my good thing because we haven't gone yet and we're going this weekend and I'm so excited. But thank God it's not Coachella. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, thank God we're going the weekend before Coachella. Oh, thank God. Would you ever go to Coachella? Um, unlikely. And that's why we work. Because <laughs> I'm like, there's no way unless... I maybe I would go to like an electric forest, what but the even then, fuck? <laughs> you're giving me this reaction for like I, I would will... have to at least somewhat like the music. Like I, yeah, no, for you, sure, love but, that journey for you. But am but I gonna that say sounds it? like my own personal hell. I would need to not be present. Okay, <laughs> leave me at home. I would need to not be present. Yeah, I just the whole staying in a tent not appealing <laughs> not appealing to I me sharing would, a bathroom going whoever, shitting in a in a porta potty the people who do that are so strong no i think they just really like drugs and music and i love that for them you guys have so much fun and you party hard i love that you like that i love that you like that i love that you have the passion and the drive to do that and suffer but i do not have it in me the way I experience Coachella is a weekend before from Margaritaville. Yeah. <laughs> I will not and be in no attendance. no other way. I will not be in attendance. I will be going to Palm Springs a weekend prior. I will be sitting on a lounge chair in Margaritaville. I will be getting a massage. And I will, massage. And I will not be going. <laughs> I will enjoy it by not. I will be in the desert, but I will not be wearing a bandana. I will not be. <laughs> I might wear a bandana. <laughs> What did you just say? I might wear a bandana. I made that wear a bandana. <laughs> I was clear. Check the recording. I'm, I'm going to play it back. Roll the tape. I did not stutter. I okay? dare you. Sometimes I stutter and I own that. <laughs> okay. And it was not then. Anyway. Oh, that's my good thing. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast check out our patreon we just dropped a bonus episode so if you'd like to check that out it's over there and, and we have so many of them i know and we it's have, super good it's good we have a bunch and they're all good and they're great they're the best yeah they're really good and no we one vote does on them. it better that's facts and we vote on them and we talk in the discord and we love it over there we had a narrow miss of a story that was not wanted by some Ooh, and oh. that's drama that if you want tea, you have to go to the Discord. And gotta see go it. to the Discord. You gotta see the tea in the Discord. A kerfuffle we have, in the oh, Discord. We have a kerfuffle in the Discord, and we talk about it over there. So if you want to see it, check out the Patreon. Um, and you can find that at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to us at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>